Hi everyone and welcome to SAMA, an interview series which invites experts each week to discuss their area of expertise. This week we're very lucky to have Gerald Pollack to discuss the fourth phase of water. Just when you think you know everything about water, there comes a curveball. <laughs> Gerald received his PhD in biomedical engineering from the University of Pennsylvania in 1968. His interests have ranged broadly from biological motion and cell biology to the interaction of biological surfaces with aqueous solutions like water. He received the Biomedical Engineering Society's Distinguished Lecturer Award in 2002, and in 2016, he was awarded the first Emoto Peace Prize. Well, we've got to talk about that one too. So thank you for accepting our invitation to our show. It's fantastic to have you with us. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, happy to to be with you. Um, well, would you uh, would you uh, like me to talk about the Emoto Peace Prize, well, or maybe that comes later? Well, no, well, let's talk about this now because I'd love to know how you got involved and, and and a bit of your background so we understand the man in front of us now. So, what is the Emoto Peace Prize, and and um... <laughs> well, the Emoto Peace Prize was a, a huge surprise to me. Yes. I was the first recipient of the uh, Emoto Peace Prize, yes. and and let me tell you that was the last thing I expected. Yes. Um, so I was invited by the uh, Emoto people. You know, I I, I was a fan of of Masaru Emoto, and um, I, I really enjoyed looking at the images that that he produced. Yes. And Emoto uh, was controversial. He passed several years ago. His work is being carried on. Um, the leader is his son and his mother, uh, uh, Emoto's uh, widow, is, is involved, plus several other people. And they've all become good friends of, uh, of, of mine. And so they invited me to give a talk in, uh, in Tokyo. And the talk was a two-day talk. It was not a simple talk. And um, I presented a lot of stuff. And um, and, and the reason they invited me is that the the uh, our our discovery of the fourth phase of water provides um, a scientific underpinning of what they've been complaining. It doesn't prove that what they've done is correct by any means, yes. but it, it does provide a scientific underpinning in an area where people say this is impossible. It simply can't be. But I think it might be that it can. So they invited me. It was two days. The Japanese people were incredibly gracious and warm, and I've had a lot of experience with Japanese people. I've been to Japan perhaps 40 times, and, and most often in my experience, Japanese people tend to be subtle. You've got to read between the lines if, if, if you really want to understand what, what they're trying to tell you. Um, but this was different. These people were refreshingly open-minded and warm and hospitable. And, and my wife and I had a fantastic time over there. So after two days of almost continuous lecturing to two different groups of people who had been who were interested in Emoto kinds of things, uh, at the end, the guy, uh, a fellow named Nimoto, who at the time was the president of the organization, he said, Say, save me 15 minutes at the very end. So he saved 15 minutes and he, he came on stage with some some kind of uh, 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 statue or something, and also what looked like a, a diploma or a picture. It was it was wrapped, and I I could imagine what that might be because in the past, you know, very often you go give a talk and they prepare a plaque for you. Thank you so much for your wonderful lecture, or whatever, even before they've heard it. <laughs> so I was expecting something like that. Yeah. And, and to my surprise. When I'm standing up there with with my wife uh, on on the podium, and I opened it, and it said uh, awarded to me the first Emoto Peace Prize, and I must tell you that you know, having won various awards and prizes, this one was really really meaningful. Why mm -hmm. on earth would I be getting a Peace Prize? Uh, yes. Well, I I can't give you the answer to that, but it's really useful uh, because. Uh, if my wife and I are having a fight, I can just whip out that peace prize and tell her how <laughs> you know, how reasonable I must be. Otherwise, I wouldn't wouldn't have gotten that prize. So 
So it's very useful. <laughs> let's, anyway. let's hope you haven't, yeah. Yeah. Let's hope you haven't had uh, to use that Peace Prize that often. <laughs> no, 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 no. We, we get along just perfectly well. But it's a good story anyway. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great story. Yeah. Now, back, back to water. How did you get interested in the water? How did it all start? Because you've, got, you've delved quite deeply with that, no pun intended. Well, it started, uh, um, uh, there, there were a few factors. So I, I began my career and spent a good portion of my career studying muscles, trying to figure out how the proteins in muscle, actin and myosin, come together to produce force, uh, energy, uh, velocity, and, and, and such. And there was a theory that had been out there. The theory is still out there. In fact, it's hardly changed in 60 years. And it, it was put forth by a famous Nobel laureate whose na name is Sir Andrew Huxley. He passed several years ago. He was a really distinguished guy. Um, I mean, he had every accolade that you can imagine. He was not only won the Nobel Prize, but uh, he had been president of the Royal Society, master of Trinity College, Cambridge, uh, and also a a distinguished lineage uh, that goes back to Thomas Henry Huxley um, uh, and, and, and Aldous Huxley, the author and so, but he was the only one who had won a Nobel Prize. So he was the kind of guy when he walked into the room, there was a hush. It was like, God has walked into this room. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, um, in, in my view, none of the evidence fit his theory. <laughs> um, so this was a problem uh, because we had done many experiments and uh, almost nothing agreed with the predictions of that theory. And, and we were pretty vocal about that. And I think I became a kind of nemesis uh, for, uh, for him. But we, we were on very good terms. Uh, he even sent Christmas cards or his wife did uh, each year. So uh, the problem though, is that when, when you have God who's, who's come forth with a theory, you know, you believe it must be true. You can't, you can't really contradict God, can you? <laughs> so, despite the fact that the evidence failed, absolutely failed to fit the theory, um, the theory persisted, and in fact, it persists even to this day. And the theory developed to describe how muscles work uh, has been extended to describe any kind of biological motion. And so, uh, I'm sorry to be so blatant, but um, I believe it's completely wrong. I mean, okay. completely. It's not even close. So at the time, um, we were studying uh, muscle contraction, and, and, and we began coming up with alternative ideas that seemed to fit the evidence better. But one of the things that struck me was that nobody talks about water inside muscle. Now, they talk about the proteins inside the muscle, but... When you think about it, um, the, the fraction, the vo volume fraction uh, of muscle that's water is like two thirds. But yeah, so if you, if you do the arithmetic and instead of doing it by volume fraction, if you were to line up all the molecules inside the muscle and count them one by one, more than 99 out of 100 would be water molecules because the water molecule is so small. So to take up that two thirds volume, you need a whole lot of them. So I began to think that, uh, you know, this is really weird that nobody is taking into account the water inside the muscle. Almost never is the word water uh, discussed. And if you look in the textbook, you'll see all the proteins there, but there are no water molecules. So it's like these proteins are operating in a vacuum, you know, and nobody talks about it. So, so I was thinking, um, this is actually really, really important to study. And there had been one colleague in my lab many years before that, an Israeli guy who was talking about water. And at the time I thought, well, he's, he's way off. Everybody knows that it's not water. But I began to think that water must be important in some way because it's preposterous to think that uh, something where 99 out of 100, more than 99 out of 100 molecules are of one kind and, and that kind of stuff is irrelevant. So it didn't make sense. At the same time, uh, I had the really good fortune to meet someone who, um, who, who made a, a, a really important impact uh, on, on my career. His name was Gilbert Ling. And Gilbert came from China. Um, 
and his interest was water. And I got to go, I got to go to a meeting where he was there. It was a meeting to commemorate the, the death of a famous Hungarian uh, biophysicist. Uh, and his interest, the biophysicist's interest was muscles and water, two different fields. And I was to represent muscles and Gilbert Ling was to represent water. Uh, so we crossed paths and it wasn't long before I came to realize that uh, Gilbert Ling's radical ideas had, had some merit. And so what are his radical ideas? He's had many. Uh, he's now a hundred years old, by the way, still wow. kicking. Yeah, wow, <laughs> right, wow. And, you know, he was, he was selected. He was in the first, first group of scientists to come from China. After World War II, uh, there was some attempt, I don't know who drove the attempt, to get Chinese scholars to come to, come to the U.S. So they uh, searched all around China, and they picked three people. So he was one of the three from all of China. There was a biologist and a chemist and a physicist. Um, and he was, I guess, the biologist. Uh, it, so he came. The physicist, by the way, won a Nobel Prize uh, in, in physics. So, so this was a very select group uh, of people. And I was so impressed with what Gilbert had to say. And he was saying a very simple thing. He said, inside the cell, the water is not like this, uh, not like a glass of water, where the molecules are bouncing around randomly a huge number of times each second. Uh, it, it's, it, the, the molecules are ordered. In other words, the molecules are lined up like dominoes, one after the other, inside the cell. This, was this idea was completely at odds with the prevailing view of, of uh, cell biologists who, who assume that water is like the water in the glass, it's, it's no different. This, this presents a, a, a sort of problem when you think about it because I was just discussing because we were uh, just today before, before this at uh, doctors, my wife has some health issues, and we're discussing the fact that, you know, if your cells are filled with water, water is a liquid, if you cut yourself, all that liquid should pour out of your body, but it doesn't. <laughs> um, so this is, this is uh, a sign that there's something different about the water. Something, something and the water that Gilbert was talking about is somewhere, you might say, between a solid and a, and a liquid. Well, that's how, a long answer to your short question, that's how we got started. We were studying muscles. We came to realize that water is probably important. We met Gilbert Ling, who said that water is critically important, and also it's different. It's different from ordinary water. So it wasn't, didn't take very long before our lab um, uh, pivoted from focusing rather intently on muscle contraction to focusing rather intently on water. Yes. That's how it all began. Sorry, long answer to a short oh, question. Oh, no, I love the long answers because it paints the picture fully. It paints okay. a picture in color rather than just some black and white outlines. So okay. it's, it's great. The, yeah. Now, we're, we're, in formal training, we're taught about the three phases of water, solid, liquid, gas. And there's a fourth stage. Yes. Could, you, uh, could, yeah. we, could, could we touch on that now? Absolutely, yeah. And explain what so this we were, we, we, Starting with Gilbert Ling's ideas, um, I mean, he was, he was an important stimulus for us, a great stimulus for us. We, we knew, we, were, we, we wanted to do um, experiments on water because this seemed so interesting. We had to learn something uh, about it. And the idea of a fourth phase came uh, a, a, bit, a bit later. And we knew that the kind of water that Gilbert Ling was talking about, where the molecules are lined up, it's kind of like ice in some way, where the molecules are ordered, lined up. And you know, when, when you freeze water to, to, to get ice, what happens is, as the ice crystal forms, or as the crystals form, they push out, they exclude um, any kind of foreign substances, uh, either uh, substances uh, uh, solutes, uh, or particles and such. So we were looking, our, our clue was, we want to find some, some kind of, uh, of uh, setup or, or um, model or something where we could see this kind of exclusion happening. We couldn't, it wouldn't prove necessarily that this was a region of structured or ordered water, but it might give us a clue and we could find out later whether it really was or wasn't. 
And I had the good fortune to meet a, a Japanese colleague who told me about an experiment he was doing. And I thought, this is it. This is really important because he was talking about, about a gel where there was a, a tunnel in the gel. And he was using this tunnel to study blood flow. But blood is messy. He didn't want to deal with blood. So he dealt with water and little particles to represent the red blood cells. And he was telling me uh, that when he did this, his students noticed, because they could see inside the gel, it was a clear gel, they could see that uh, at, at, uh, just inside the tunnel, that there was a region where these particles, these so-called microspheres, didn't want to go. In other words, a clear zone. So the, you have the tunnel, and right in the middle of the tunnel, um, uh, you have all the particles, and they're excluded from a region just in, inside uh, the tunnel. And he was thinking, oh, it must be some kind of secondary effect or something like that. And I was thinking, this is the clue I was looking for, because I think this is a region where the water is structured. And because it's structured, it's pushing out or excluding all of those particles. So uh, we became friends. I, I wrote an email to him. I said, you know, please, could you publish your paper on this? Because I would like to quote it in my book. And this was the book that came out in 2001. It's called Cells, Gels, and the Engines of Life. It was my first book on, on water. We hadn't yet come to the fourth phase, but uh, the book demonstrated how central water was to all of biology. <laughs> anyway, he wrote back and he said, yeah, yeah, we're working on it. And then a couple of months later, uh, please publish your book. I really want to quote it or publish your paper. I want to quote it in my book because this is important evidence for structured water, I think. Uh, and finally, uh, I was a pest. I was really eager to, to see this happen, but he wasn't doing it. And finally, he wrote to me and said, look, if you just leave me, he didn't say it exactly this way. He said, if you just leave me alone, I'll make you a co-author in the paper. I, I don't want to be a co-author. <laughs> All I want is for you to publish the paper because the contents are so important and I want to use this in my book. Well, what happened after that is I had the good fortune because somebody from his laboratory came to my laboratory. Just by coincidence, yes. I was able to, to start repeating the, these kinds of experiments. And so that was our, our beginning. We, we thought that this region of exclusion uh, corresponded to the region of ordered water. And it didn't take us long to confirm that that was absolutely true. So we got started that way. And... Um, and we went on, and, and so it, it took several years uh, uh, of doing, we were, we were relatively new at these kinds of experiments because we had plenty of experience studying muscles and their contraction, but no experience at all studying these kinds of preparation. So we learned on the job, you, you might say. And I think we learned reasonably well. We found out so much information about these zones, we call them exclusion zones because they exclude water. And we found out the structure of, of these zones. And, and we think that Gilbert was not quite right in his idea of the lining up of water molecules, like lining up of dominoes. Uh, the evidence didn't fit that. Uh, the evidence actually fit more like um, a structure, a little bit like ice. It has a hexagonal motif and it consists of hexagonal sheets that pile up on one another to give you something that grows in, in thickness. And we found, we found that um, this kind of um, uh, water uh, in, with the structure that, that I, I mentioned to you, we called it fourth phase. Well, first of all, because it's simple. Uh, second, it tends to be alluring for people. It, oh, a fourth phase, that's, that's interesting. But it really is, is a kind of water that differs. It's, it's not a liquid and it's not a solid. It's somewhere in between. And it's certainly not a gas or vapor. So we call it a fourth phase, and this fourth phase, because its structure is not so different from ice, um, uh, it, 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 we found out that, in, in fact, it's an intermediate between water and ice. So if you, take, if you take a glass of water or a container of water and you freeze it, we found that you can't go, as people think, directly from water to ice. You must go through this easy phase. Um, we have experimental evidence that's published and it's described also in, in my uh, later book, which is called The Fourth Phase of Water. It's been very popular. I, sometimes I, when I'm in the, uh, 
depressed mood or something, I, I look at the reviews of the book on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm kind of thinking, I, I wish my mother were alive because she'd probably print it and post it on the wall of her, <laughs> her apartment. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, so, so it, it, it's a popular book. I, um, it's written for, for people who are non-experts in this, and it describes what the fourth phase is all about. So, so I told you about the history, but I, I, I haven't told you about the importance of, uh, of this water. But I'm ready to answer your next question, and we can get to it later or whenever. Okay, well, how, how stable is this stage of water? You've explained how it can be on the edge of a gel tube. And it's also the, the edge of what? Of a tube that's got flowing, flowing water going through a gel tube. You've oh, a tube. That. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you've explained how it's an intermediary stage between liquid and solid when it's freezing. How stable is it? Can you have a fourth, fourth well, yeah. bottle? It's a good, good question, and and um, we don't know the answer exactly. So. Usually, we, we found that building up this kind of water, if you start with plain water, um, and, and you have just a little bit of this easy water, if you add light to it, it builds. So the energy for construction, you know, anytime you want to go from, from a state where something is disordered to a state where it's ordered, you, not, you need to put in energy. Um, one example of that, the, the, my favorite example, is cleaning up your room, you know. So you you look like a guy who's pretty neat, but most of us are pretty sloppy. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like falling off a log um, to, to be sloppy. You just put something down here and something down there, and it requires no real energy to do it. But if you want to make it neat and clean, you have to invest energy. So you spend a half hour moving this from here to here and, 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 and so on. So that's a good illustration of the principle that, you need energy to create order. And so we found, to our surprise, through a quirk of a student experiment, we found the energy that's needed to build this water comes from light, and particularly from infrared light. So, you know, light, the visible spectrum starts at the short wavelength in the violets and so, and gets longer and longer through the reds. But beyond the reds, you have infrared, and beyond the violets, you have ultraviolet. So it turns out that the infrared wavelengths are by far the most powerful for building this. And, and so where, where do you get infrared energy? Well, most people know if, you, if, you, um, if you're in the kitchen and you look in the electric, electric oven, uh, you see the coils glowing brightly, bright orange, you know, and you feel the heat. And so you say, oh yeah, well, infrared is associated with heat. And that's not wrong. But actually infrared is all over. So. You can see the images behind me, the uh, musical instruments and the artwork. Um, there's an uh, artistic streak that uh, runs, runs through me. And um, if I were to turn off all the lights and you couldn't see any of that um, with your eyes, no visible light that detectable, you take out your smartphone and you get no image. But if you have a camera with an infrared sensor, so it senses those long wavelengths, you get a beautiful image of everything, even if it's perfectly dark in the room. It's because everything is generating infrared energy. Uh, I am, the musical instruments there are, the picture, the walls, everything. So it's basically free. It's free for the taking. You might want to call it, if you were not a chemist and familiar with the term free energy, you might call it free energy because it's free. It doesn't cost anything. And that's the energy that builds the water. So. Getting a, it's a long answer to your short question about stability, but you see, since this energy is always there, and this is the energy that's required to build this water, it might be that this is actually pretty stable. We tried some experiments, and the experiments were not conclusive. Uh, it's it's a good, really good question about the longevity of this kind of water. So, someone, a guy who who produces uh, water for health, there are many such people. He was telling me on the phone when he called me about this extraordinary water that he produces that can actually reverse irreversible kidney pathology. At first, I, I didn't believe, well, I said I didn't believe him, so he sent me hospital records, and it confirmed that irreversible kidney pathology disappeared 
after a month of drinking this water. So I became more impressed and I said, you know, why don't you send me a sample of this? Maybe we'll test it. And we tested it. And, but it took three months by the time it arrived in the mail until the time we actually got around to testing it. And it contained, we have a very simple way to determine if there's easy water. It contained a lot of easy water. So we can't, with an experiment like that, N equals one, we can't really tell about the stability because we don't know how much easy water there was at the outset, but at least a very major amount of easy water persisted or was there after three months. Maybe the infrared energy in my office is enough to keep it that way. So we don't, we don't really know the answer. It is possible that, um, um, that this is a very stable structure, but we're not sure yet. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, never apologize for a full answer. <laughs> It's, 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 it's wonderful to... to well, I apologize because it would be nice if I had the answer, but... Oh, you know, oh I understand. No, academic, <laughs> we tend to hedge if we don't know. <laughs> now, now, a lot of um, people are jumping on the bandwagon of, of um, health and healthy supplements, and of course, healthy water with this and this. Um, I've had an online a question from Steve uh, Jeffrey, who's wondering now, I won't put in brand names to the question, but there's a water distiller that supposedly changes the hydrogen bond angle in ordinary water from 104 degrees to 114 degrees, and therefore produces over 100,000 life-saving results. Now, is there is there science in that, or is it really just... Yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm not familiar with that particular water, but I, I can tell you m my opinion. So um, you can't see a water molecule. And, and so it's not so easy to measure the bond angle of something that you can't see. The bond angle is inferred from, from various measurements. And, okay. um, and typically, these kinds of inferences involve a whole long list of assumptions. Okay. I wouldn't bet my life on, um, okay. uh, on the bond angle and what the bond angle is and how it changes. But I think, I think uh, more important than that, we're, we're, a lot of people studying the various waters, oh, each one says something different. Oh, our water does this and it changes this. And, and, and some of those may actually be true. I, I'm, I'm not okay. sure. That, but I think, I think the uh, proof is in the pudding. And I, I think the, the real proof about about the value of a particular water has got to come from clinical trials from from you know you've got a, a group of people who have kidney problem okay and and they all have the same sort of kidney problem and and 20 percent of the people drink water a and 20 percent drink water b and etc and that control group maybe they drink tap water and their local taps and and test them check them at the end of the year and and see what happens Right. And I think that's a not unreasonable way uh, uh, to check it. But who's going to do it? See, the problem is that uh, the water companies, they're not wealthy. They don't have the same kinds of money that drug companies have where they can spend $100 million on a drug trial to see if it really does help with cancer or doesn't help with cancer. They don't have that kind of money. And, 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 and so it's not so easy for them to test. But really, that's what needs to be done. At, at one time, uh, I was really eager to do that, and I had hoped that our National Institutes of Health might come forth. It's not cheap to do something like that, as you can imagine, to do it, do it correctly. Uh, you know, and I thought that with maybe $5 million, we could conduct enough trials to be meaningful so that if you ask me, you know, uh, my, my brother-in-law has cancer, which water should he drink to see if the cancer will, will uh, disappear? And uh, so it strikes me as something incredibly important for uh, an organization that spends, I think NIH now spends, I think, close to $40 billion each year uh, on health, and that includes drug testing and such. But no interest whatsoever in water. Water? That's just as <laughs> you know, it's like the stuff that bathes the important molecules in life. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. So why are we going to waste five, five million dollars on something like that? So this is what I think needs to be done. Um, maybe, maybe somebody in China or, 
or something will come forth with some money or I, I'm not sure, sure and I, I'm not sure that we're necessarily the best to do it but I know who shouldn't do it and that is one of the water companies because obviously they have some self-interest in, in, in the product but it should be done. Um, so I can't really tell you anything meaningful about the bond angle change. Mm-hmm. I guess they, the question that could be asked is how did they measure it and can they get it? I'm not sure uh, uh, frankly I I, I haven't followed. You no, know, it's, no, it's really I, difficult because there are literally, more, I'm sure, more than 100 companies who come out with some people that are interested in water, you know, water for health. And there are all kinds of processes that are used to produce waters. In Japan, for example, uh, very popular is alkaline water. Perhaps you know about that? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. And a colleague who studied that water told me that the Japanese government uh, did tests on that water. They did actually the clinical tests and the fellow told me that the results of the tests were so incredibly positive that in Japan right now, if you go to your physician with any kind of gastrointestinal problem, starting from your mouth all the way down to your rear end, anything, they tell you to drink this alkaline water and they pay for it. So it's not just lip service, they're actually coming through with money to pay for it because they've tested it and the tests have come come through really, really positive. There are other reports here and there that this water is not so good for you. So I'm not in a position, we basically, we do fundamental research on the chemistry and physics of water. We're not water testers, you see. But, but it would be great if knowledgeable people who are independent of any of these, of these companies and, and such could actually test various waters. Incredibly important for the health of the world. Absolutely. So, Maybe you can inspire some <laughs> Well, I'm sure, um, I'm hoping that uh, some of our viewers, I only need one viewer, so yeah, I can do it, and I've got the uh, ability to do this, to carry that through and find, do, do the research on water and uh, yeah. make, make things happen. Uh, an online question from Paul Schmittendorf. He's asking about frequency-infused water. Have you had any experience in, in, in a pro, in, uh imprinting water with frequencies? Um, um, not specifically in our laboratory, but I've heard enough of, about it from people whose opinions um, I, I trust to know that there's something to it. And, um, you know, the, the original, as far as I understand, came from Royal Rife, who used various combinations of frequencies to treat different pathologies. And... Um, uh, his, I think he lost his license because uh, they thought he was a charlatan. Sure. And someone finally discovered some of his notebooks and some of the information in the notebooks <laughs> is, is available and various people are producing so-called Rife machines that uh, produce frequencies. There's also um, so-called frequency-specific microcurrent group. And this is a group who have revived uh, some of the work from yet another physician who used uh, different frequencies. They came across the information that was re- recorded and they're starting to use it. And I went to a conference just a few months ago where, and the conference was about frequency specific microcurrents. Yes. And I heard reports from various physicians, including quite a few from the Cleveland Clinic. So this is, you know, a reputable place. And the reporting, um, extremely positive results, um, <coughs> excuse me, positive results from using those frequencies um, on, on people. Um, you know, so, so they put two electrodes, for example, they might put a wet towel around here and another one in a different, yes. and, uh, and pass very minute currents, different frequencies, usually, usually it's a combination of two frequencies and, and the results that they report seem just remarkable. So, so that my answer to it is we have no experience ourselves. However, I've seen enough to think that this is really interesting and probably, probably valid. It needs, it needs more development, uh, more clinical trials and such. But this is a, you know, a extremely inexpensive method of curing ills that could cost huge amounts of money in, in in, in more conventional kinds of, uh, of approaches. Yes. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, <laughs> there are many things out there, but a lot of them don't see the light of day. And I, mm-hmm. I, I think we all understand some of the reasons why they don't see the light of day. It's sort of follow the money. Mm-hmm. Follow the money. Um, we touched, uh, you mentioned before about far infrared and how it is um, a wavelength which is very conducive to the creation of the fourth stage of water. Thomas Gersten asks the question, far infrared saunas, uh, do they, well, I'll restructure, well, I'll, I'll totally ruin this question completely. And <laughs> does, does, do far infrared saunas structure water inside your body? In any way. Well, I, I never went inside the body to check, to see. However, it would seem a no-brainer because you go, you go the answer is yes, a no-brainer, I would think, because you go into a sauna, it's hot, the amount of infrared energy is huge inside, and it's exposed to your body. You don't have any clothes on to block it, but even if you did, it wouldn't block uh, all of it or much of it. And you absorb, your body is absorbing for 15 to 30 minutes this huge amount of uh, infrared energy. And if, if the workings of your body are similar to the workings of what we explored in the laboratory, then you get a huge amount of growth of easy water. And then, so you might say, well, what's the big deal? So, so what if easy water grows? Well, so what is from the earlier book that I mentioned, the fourth phase of water, this, this uh, structured water, as Gilbert Ling likes to call it, and some others, ordered water, is absolutely central for everything your body does. I was mentioning muscles where it's absolutely essential as a, as a trigger, but pretty much every organ in your body needs that water because every protein, here's a protein, and the protein is surrounded normally by this kind of easy water. But if you're ill or dehydrated, um, the two are not synonymous exactly, but they're pretty close. If you're dehydrated, the stuff is missing or in short supply. And the protein doesn't, oh, hey, I'm, you know, I'm in a weird environment here. What do I do? And the, the job of the protein is to fold like this to cause contraction. Or, or if it's a secretory cell, to fold like this or that to cause secretion. Or if it's a nerve cell, to do pretty much the same thing to pass on information. It's, it's all essentially the same, thematically the same process. But if the water is missing, the protein finds itself in a strange environment and a kind of wilderness that it doesn't recognize. Instead of doing this, and it, it will kind of misfold and, and it's not working and you have a pathology. You're, so you want to reverse that. So, I mean, for example, if you have a muscle ache or a headache or something, you go into the sauna, you absorb all of this infrared energy. It should rebuild the easy water that's been missing. And then, so you go in with muscle aches and you come out feeling okay. You go in um, uh, tired, in my experience, come out feeling like I just woke up. I had eight hours sleep. I feel great because your, your cells and all the organs of your body, they're all getting restored to where they, they should be. So the answer is to the, the person who asked the question is an absolute yes. Oh, okay, okay. Does hydrogen water have any association with the fourth, the fourth stage? Fourth I, I don't know. We, we haven't tested. I know that okay. that kind of water is getting popular. Uh, I'm not aware of the clinical tests on it, but um, the reports have been good. But I, I, I'm not sure of details. Sorry about that. Oh, no, no problem. Um, an anonymous attendee has asked, is there a particular part of the infrared spectrum that can create easy water? Well, is- yeah. Uh, so the, the answer is um, partially yes and partly I'm not sure. So we studied, you know, in the laboratory, we, we, we like to study as much as possible. We can, but to get the infrared sources, we used light emitting diodes, LEDs, at the various spans of wavelength. We could get them up to the wavelength of about 4.5 micrometers, which is, depending how you which book you read or how you define is kind of middle, middle infrared, middle to far infrared. So we could test in the range through the visit from the UV, through the visible, through infrared, up to wavelengths as long as 4.5 micrometers. And we found that three micrometers 
was the most effective. Uh, also, one micrometer was, was pretty good, but not nearly as good as three. What we also know is, um, is that three micrometers is the, is the wavelength that water absorbs the most. So we could conclude, other evidence too, we could conclude that, that um, the, the wavelength that the water prefers to absorb is the same wavelength that builds EZ. Or in other words, this absorbed energy goes into building EZ. But we know that the longer wavelengths beyond four or four and a half micrometers, water likes to absorb it. Uh, not quite as much as three micrometers, but not so much less. So it's possible that these much longer wavelengths uh, also build easy water. We don't, we don't know that for sure, but this is an experiment that needs to be done. Okay, well, we'll start on another question from Tev Keen. He asks, can you create easy water with an array of magnets? Does it take any magnetic field to? Um, maybe. Uh, this is a, a question that is right on our agenda at the moment. So some funny things happen uh, and we, when you put a magnet next to water. Uh, the first thing that um, was found by a guy uh, from Eastern Europe, from Belarus, who joined my laboratory. And the day he joined my laboratory, he showed me a paper that he had just published. And it was interesting for me because my student had done exactly the same experiment and got exactly the same result. And that is, you take, you take a, a glass of water and you put a magnet underneath. Yes. And if the North Pole is on top yes. and you wait for a day or so, the pH of this water changes. Uh, I think for the North Pole, it increases. And then if you do the opposite experiment, you put the South Pole here, the pH decreases, like mirror images of one another. Um, and we both got the same, same result. I had no idea he was doing that experiment. And of course, he had no idea that we were doing. Ours is not published yet, um, but his, his is published. So, so something interesting happens to the water, and we're, we're not sure yet what. We also, or he also, measured the absorption properties of water at wavelengths, uh, short wavelengths corresponding to the ultraviolet. It turns out it changes. You put a magnet there and the water uh, absorbs uh, more, more or less, I can't remember. The curve shifts and that persists for months. So something, when you put magnets next to the water, we're confident and other people have demonstrated too, something changes in the water. Whether it creates easy or not, I guess I'd wager Probably it does, but we haven't identified it um, because we know, for example, that if you have easy that's being created in the water or anywhere, the easy is usually negatively charged and the water around it uh, receives positive charge uh, that complements that negative charge. So, so in other words, part of the charge that was uh, the water starts neutral and you break up the water molecule and the negatively charged parts come together to form this EZ, and the positive ones get pushed into the water. They're free, they're bouncing around. Um, and it's possible, it's possible that that's what's going on, but in order to demonstrate it, we would need to demonstrate the presence of EZ. We're working on it, so we don't know the answer yet, but magnets definitely have an effect on water. And it could be health promoting, we don't know. Um, so I know people tend to use magnets in certain ways to improve their health. And it might be that that is the underlying basis, not sure. Right. So that could explain why people say put the North Pole of a magnet to your body and the water inside your body is uh, reacting to the North Pole and possibly becoming this easy water as you. It, it's, it's possible. Again, uh, I wouldn't want to bank on it, but um, I, I would think that's fairly likely. I hope we know within a year. What is the significance of the difference? We've explained what, it, what the fourth phase water is, but why is it so important in your body? Why is it? Because, well, um, um, there, there are two things. First is what I was trying to explain before about the protein folding and the natural mm. um, environment or milieu surrounding each protein. Yes. The cells are full of easy water. Uh, and that, that, by the way, I, I think is what confers the well-known negative charge inside the cell. That's been confirmed okay. for 
60 years and people think it has to do with the membrane mm-hmm. and I don't and I have a paper that we wrote about that as a simpler explanation rather mm-hmm. than the pumps and channels of the membrane and that is the water has negative charge so the cell is negatively charged mm-hmm. so um, so the question was why, why tell me once again I'm sorry oh, well, I, what, what, what is the significance of the easy water in your body as opposed yeah. to glass water okay. So, so that's one. And the second way of looking at it is as an energy supply. Um, this water is negatively charged. So if you think of a cell, the cell is full of these negative charges. These negative charges repel one another. They want to get out as quickly as possible. They can't get out because they're stuck around and around. But, but there are ways that they can get out. And this is potential energy. It's sort of like the terminal of battery. You know, one terminal has positive charge, the other has negative charge. Mm-hmm. And there may be negative, uh, positive charges outside the cell, but inside it's mostly negative charges. So this is like a battery. And this battery essentially delivers energy because um, as the cell goes from its quiescent state to its active state, in other words, if the muscle is relaxed versus contracting, mm-hmm or the nerve cell is not doing anything versus transmitting information, um, then um, if, if that's the case, uh, then it, it's, it's delivering uh, potential, delivering that energy in order to do so. So most of us think uh, about um, uh, the, that the energy delivery inside the cell uh, has to do with ATP, uh, the high energy bond in the phosphate delivering the energy. There are some people who think that that's actually not correct. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure either way, but there have been challenges to that really early on. And Gilbert Ling, uh, um, sorry, somebody's knocking at our door, but we'll, we'll let it. They want to join Sam, don't they? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I don't know who. My wife being deaf doesn't hear it. And uh, we have a guest at home, but he's downstairs. So I, I guess the door won't be answered. Someone is really anxious, probably someone who is, uh, uh, wants us to vote for a particular political uh, candidate. We, we have some issues in this country, as you, as you know. Uh, but anyway, this is, um, we're, we're talking about uh, separation of charge. This is a little bit like photosynthesis, where light comes to the green plant, separates charge, uh, and that separation of charge is the first step in the long chain of steps in photosynthesis, which gives energy to the plant. This is very similar, except it works in your cells and my cells, not just the cells of the green plants. Um, and, um, and, and, and therefore, it's completely analogous, uh, the, the two of them. And this is, I think, an important energy source um, for your body. So if you, if you want to think way, way out of the box, uh, you, you maybe know about these people called breatharians who don't eat and mm. they do. And I know some of these people, and they're absolutely sincere. Many people say it's impossible. I mean, but but these people seem to do it. So the question is, well, where do they get their energy? And and I think it's possible. They think so too that the energy comes from light, uh, that they absorb light from the environment, and the light does almost the same thing that it does in plants. Um, it, it separates charge. And that battery-like effect is used in your body. I think this is true. Uh, we may get a lot of energy that people don't think about in much the same way as plants get their energy. Right, right. Can you have, so, too, can you have too much easy water in your body? It's a good question. Um, I, I don't know the answer. Um, it's probably self-limiting. Uh, one, one of the reasons I, uh, I think about that is if you, um, if you have a biological structure, let's say proteins that look like this, and usually they're cross-connected with cross-links like a comb in, in between them. Mm-hmm. And that prevents them from, uh, from separating by too much. Now, when the water builds next to the surfaces of these proteins, they'll build one layer, a next layer, a next layer. And there's a tendency if they build from this surface and this surface, tendency for these to separate right okay. but the crosslinks prevent that separation so okay. it's self-limiting limiting and you can't build a whole lot of easy water on the other hand if you if you have an accident and and you strain 
uh, some muscle or joint or connective tissue or whatever, these links break. And once they break, the water can pile up very quickly. These separate and you get a huge swelling. Yes. And I think that's how swelling occurs so quickly. So, right. so that, would be, that would be a pathological state. And the state that's not pathological uh, would be the normal state where the crosslinks are present and they prevent this overextension and thereby prevent too much easy water from building up. So your question might be moot because the amount of easy water that builds up could be limited. Okay, I understand. So, mm. Not sure. It's a speculation. <laughs> I got asked to um, propose this question to you. It's a very important one. The uh, countries throughout the world are rolling out 5G. Now, we are filled with water. The water absorbs frequencies. You can imprint frequencies into water. And you've got, of course, this fourth stage uh, phase water in your body. What is, what is, in your opinion, the effect of these very powerful microwave frequencies passing through your body? My, my opinion is irrelevant. Um, what are the facts is really uh, what, what you mean. And I haven't studied it myself, but I've heard from enough people whose opinions I respect who have studied it, yes. who tell me that this is disastrous. This is, uh, uh, this is potentially lethal. Um, okay. And, and uh, you know, right now, the Wi-Fi that we have, I guess you'd call it 4G or whatever, 3G, is itself... Um, you might say controversial, but my, my, my colleague, colleague in my department who just retired who studied these sorts of things, he reminds me that, that there are a lot of studies um, undertaken about the effects of, of this kind of radiant energy that comes from Wi-Fi on, on human health. And he said, the ones that are sponsored by the cell phone companies, they report 95% of the papers say no effect. On the other hand, the ones that are sponsored by foundations and so 95% report serious effects. Gosh. So you have to, you know, you have to weigh the, the differences be, between who is funding. If I'm getting funded from a drug company, uh, for example, and I want to get more funds in the future, uh, if there's any question about interpreting the data, I might be persuaded to interpret it, giving some favor to the person who sponsored it because I want to get more money to support my work in the future. This is an issue, and, and the issue is a serious one in trying to answer your question because um, of the difference in the results depending on who's funding the study. But what I've heard about, about 5G is because uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't travel very far, so you need boosters such about every block or so. So it means there are going to be little boxes on telephone poles and such every block. And the intensity is very high because it doesn't propagate very far. And so the reports secondhand, I haven't seen them myself, but as I said, these are very serious people who, who have studied these reports. And almost uniformly, uh, the ones who have studied it said, this is potential disaster for the human race. So that's all I can say because I don't have firsthand evidence. We are actually starting in the laboratory to study the effects of Wi-Fi on EZ water. And it's too early to say, uh, so I, I, won't, I won't say. Um, okay. um, so we should have results pretty soon. So um, if you follow the, to find the validity of results of studies, you just follow the money again. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're not supported in this by any particular agency. No, no, so you'll be more neutral. Our, our support mostly comes from very generous people who, who believe in what we're doing and are supporting our laboratory. We're, we're very thankful for, for these people. Because, you know, getting, getting money from, if you do anything that challenges the conventional point of view, it's almost impossible to get money from various agencies because the people who are reviewing your application for money are the ones who are being challenged um, if someone comes to me, if I had money and said, I, I, I give me some money for challenging your theory, you know, I might, I might actually be not so generous as I would for somebody else who comes to me. I, I love the work you're doing. I want to enhance it and get mm -hmm. some more. Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, so you, you understand the situation. Uh, so it's a true blessing to be able to, um, to have funding from sources of people who believe in what you do. It's the old-fashioned way. 
what advice would you give to young scientists, researchers, starting off? Oh, I wish you hadn't asked that question. Um, um, let, let me put it in a diplomatic way. Um, if you want to do real science, which is mean discovering something, usually if you discover something, it, it, it displaces the people who held the, the prevailing view. Um, right? I, I mean, you discover something new and it pushes, pushes out um, the previous view. Otherwise, it's not, it's not new in any way. It, um, so if you, uh, for example, if you, said, if you said that gravitation, you were proposing that gravitation is caused by, say, uh, electromagnetic energy uh, instead of mass, for example, and you put in a proposal, and, and uh, oh, even even better one. Uh, so the world thinks that the Earth is flat, okay, and you come up with a proposal that the Earth is round. A crazy um, proposal. Yeah. <laughs> crazy proposal, and you say, well, you know, I've got some preliminary evidence. I've seen photographs from satellites, and it kind of looks round, you know, and and I took a flight from Seattle, where I live, and I I, I went to Tokyo, and then Shanghai and Ulan Bator and London and New York and back to Seattle. And I was looking out the window and I couldn't find the edge of the earth. Um, so something is wrong with that idea. And it seems that the earth is not flat, it's round. Please give me some money. And so you know the fate of that application. All of the flat earth people are gonna say, ah, you know, this is nonsense, we're not gonna fund it. So your question was a bit different. What about a young person, what advice? And if a young person is seriously interested in discovery, finding new things, it's not easy. It's a real obstacle. It's different from how it was, say, 50 years ago. Um, and because of the situation with funding, because the people who are selected to review the applications, uh, those people are mainstream people who they're chosen because they've achieved a lot uh, successfully. They're the ones who are going to be reviewing. So what I'm getting to in this roundabout way is, it's a challenge for any young person who wants to go into science um, because it's hard to get money and without money you can't do anything. And so a lot of young scientists become conservative and they follow, uh, they, they, they study within the narrow confines that are considered okay to study. So it's an obstacle. We are trying to solve this problem. We, we have an institute called the Institute for Venture Science and um, it, it just started. Um, and what we do is to fund promising ideas that challenge tired, uh, outdated conventional views. And if anybody is interested, please contact me. We're looking for donors. We already have five extremely exciting projects in, in mind. Um, and for young people, I'm really hopeful that institutions like ours, Institute for Venture Science, ivscience.org, ivscience.org, um, are, are going to have funds available to them to do uh, projects that lie outside the mainstream because this is the future. Um, not supporting old paradigms that don't work, but looking for new ones. There are lots of people out there who want to do it. Young people are among, among those. That's the obstacle. So my, my advice is be prepared because it's an uphill battle, but it can't be more rewarding than being able to discover something that's fundamental in nature. Right. I can't think of anything more rewarding than that. Yes. So uh, this is my advice. That's, that's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Would you, sure, like, to, would you, like, would you like to close on a, a very positive note? If you can think of something that you can think of very positive with regards to easy water, well, yeah, we're we're working on it. We formed we formed a company, um, and we're trying to um, to translate some of the laboratory discoveries into practical devices that can solve some of the world's problems. And uh, we think this will help. We're working on it. We, we need additional investment, uh, but we we're working on getting energy from light and water. Uh, we're working on filtration using this easy principle where. You don't need energy to do the filtration and you don't need filters to, uh, to clean and wash. And the, that, the separation 
is by virtue of the infrared energy that I was talking about. It separates easy water, which is free of all the junk, all the pharmaceuticals, all the bacteria and such. And we're working on that, uh, translating, translating the, the uh, 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 laboratory experiments into technology yes. is really demanding. Uh, to make useful technology is not so simple, it's demanding. And it, it demands of investment. And so uh, we're, we're trying to get there. Um, and um, we're hopeful that we'll do something really positive for the world. Wow. Thank, thank you so much for your good question. <laughs> um, if you can also, um, sorry. Yeah. Oh, if you can give your website, please, so viewers know where they can find more information. Uh, just look under Pollock Laboratory, P-O-L-L-A-C-K, Laboratory, um, University of Washington. And um, I, I don't remember the URL, it's too long. But okay. if, you, if you look on Google or whatever, uh, you'll find it there. Okay. There are a lot of public laboratories, but University of Washington, you find it for water keyword. We Thank you. When, yeah. we publish, when you publish our video, we will put the link on the bottom. So people oh, that's great. that's great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for your time. I understand it's very late in your side of town now, so I'll let you go. Fantastic talking to you. You've given fantastic information. And uh, it's, it's a paradigm change you're talking about. People think there's only three stages of water. It's water something so simple. The, the, the English phrase, you water something down. Well, that means make something less important, doesn't it? But actually, <laughs> but actually water plays a, a, a more than, a, a greater than significant role in the healthier body. And uh, I think it's absolutely true. And um, it, uh, uh, it used to be true that people studied the chemistry of water, but there, there were a few incidents that took place um, that were very embarrassing for various people. And scientists thinking about the potential for that kind of embarrassment stayed out of, stayed away from studying water. So water science basically disappeared for a couple of generations. It's now back. And um, yeah. I, I agree with you. It's extremely important. Water is, is so central to everything in nature. And yes. I mean, it's incredible to think that there was such a hiatus of 40 or 50 years where almost nothing was being studied. Um, it's coming back. We have a conference each year for any of your um, uh, viewers. It, it, it's a, a conference on water. And this year, it's going to be near Frankfurt, uh, Germany in October. And if, if you're interested, it's Water Conf, C-O-N-F, Water, C-O-N-F, as for conference, C-O-N-F dot org. Um, and uh, each year is better and better. This is the 14th year. So many interesting, so many interesting presentations, uh, novel presentations that you won't hear anywhere else. And such a nice informal atmosphere where people can get to know one another, rub shoulders with people you've heard about and you'd like to meet, et cetera, et cetera. Highly recommended. Fantastic. Okay, have a fantastic evening. Good okay. night. Okay, and you too. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank okay. you. Bye-bye. Okay. And we... I guess we're done. Huh? We, I guess, we're, yeah, well, we're done in, in all meeting, in all, <laughs> we're absolutely yeah. done, that's right. Well, okay. um, I really enjoyed the time we spent together. It was great. Yeah, thank you. And I apologize, it was almost late. Um, and I just heard from Nick. I don't know who Nick is, but I guess he's your technical guy or something he, he's the guy that does all the hard work and uh organizes things yeah so but he advised me five minutes ahead of time that he would like to get us started at 20 minutes before the hour and i had taken my wife to a medical appointment yeah and uh, we got finished so late in the traffic and i uh, i got so, so i emailed him i hope it's okay if i'm 10 or 15 minutes late i didn't know if it was live or not live um, so, old, it went perfectly. Don't worry about a thing. It went perfectly. Well, too late anyway for whatever. <laughs> please um, so, put, put your attention to your wife now. Make sure she's okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate your. Where are you? Where are you located? Um, I'm located um, in. Ch I actually live in China. You could probably you tell. By, you could probably tell by my accent. <laughs> well, I was Australia or New Zealand, but I. Well, New Zealand, yeah, yeah. Pardon me, what? New Zealand has yeah. well, such best place on earth. Oh, thank you, thank you. Why would you want to move from New Zealand? Uh, well, um, China's 
got so much potential. New Zealand is a small country, and you can only grow a certain size. Yeah. Not not in a business sense, but in a personal sense. Yeah. Uh, we still go and visit New Zealand um, regularly, or well, once a year. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I've got all my friends, you know, a lot of family of um, friends and family there. But um, yeah, China's. I just needed a change. You know, you get time in life. You just want to change. Just want to spread your wings. I, uh, I hear you. Yeah, and uh, I know that New Zealand can be a pretty conservative place with limited yeah. opportunity. Yeah. But lots of sheep. <laughs> and we have pink sheep as well. <laughs> you have what? We have pink sheep as well. Just north okay. of Walkworth, if anyone wants to see pink sheep, just north of Walkworth. You will see pink sheep grazing out there. Oh, pink, pink sheep, pink, bright pink, oh, okay. pink, pink in color. Yeah. Oh wow! No, I haven't seen that. <laughs> okay, that that that's great. Um, yeah, um, we had a great time uh, in New Zealand. Okay. Anyway, I gotta go. Thank okay, you. Okay. Thank you. Bye bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.